chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We took a break for the past three weeks to, um, to work through the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. Um, I pray that that has been most beneficial for you uh, in this day as we celebrate, and we've just recently celebrated anyways, the, the life of our Savior and the birth of Him and coming, and uh, we learned some cool terms like the hypostatic union uh, and what that is, that is Christ, the divine uniting with uh, the created human being, Christ. Um, there are many heresies when it comes to understanding the divinity of Christ versus the humanity of Christ. Um, we hold to the, the Christian Orthodox view that has been held for 2,000 years. Uh, uh, I just, was, just came out of a, um, a two-day uh, intensive or seminar on historical theology, uh, which is really awesome to study what, just what we believe and and how that theologically and how that lines up with all the way back to early church fathers such as Athanasius and Origen and Irenaeus and some of those early church fathers that have been around these doctrines and beliefs. And, and it's just neat to, to study the historical witness, if you will, to the authenticity and accuracy of the doctrines of which we hold today. And I just want to tell you, church, our authority and defining of what we believe is not what tradition tells us to believe, okay? Like, as a church, we don't believe what we believe because it's what the church has believed for 2,000 years. We believe what we believe because it's what Scripture says. Scripture is our authority, not history, not tradition. But it is certainly a great witness and affirmation to look back 2,000 years and to see such someone such as Augustine, who's within a hundred years or so of, of Christ and, and, uh, and, and him walking this earth and Paul and within a couple hundred years and, and, uh, and, and to hear him articulating the same doctrines of which we hold today. Um, that, uh, I hope, is encouraging. Because sometimes it can feel like we're kind of this little island out here and we kind of have our own set of beliefs and we kind of do and uh, and, and in some respects, maybe that's true, but we are in line with, as a church, what the church universal, or for the most part, has held for 2,000 years. And um, that's just really encouraging, and I hope that that's encouraging to you. So we have, we've just, we were in Ecclesiastes for 12 weeks, then we stepped out for three, and hopefully we'll finish up Ecclesiastes in about three more weeks after today. Um, and then uh, I'm not sure quite where God will have us go next. Um, I'm, I, I told the professor in, over these past couple days in my theology class, uh, I said, I'm ready to get back to the New Testament. <laughs> uh, we've been in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes has been a challenge to work through. Um, and uh, I said, I want to go back to something easier. Maybe like Paul. Uh, he's a little easier to, to get than some of this. But um, anyways, so I want to begin with a question. Uh, this is going to seem kind of frank and kind of a sharp left turn, but I want to ask this question. Do you consider yourself wise? Do you consider yourself wise? It's not a trick question, and uh, you don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you just to contemplate for a moment. Do you consider yourself wise? Now, I, I know some of you really smart people are going to go like, well, uh, well, relatively speaking, you know, when you compare me to this, you know, all right, um, or you're tr trying to be smart, then some of us are going to go, yeah, I don't know, never thought about it. Um, it's okay, so now's your moment to think about it. Uh, would you consider yourself wise? Um, you know, again, the thoughts that go through my mind are, well, you know, for my age, you know, blah, 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 you know. Do you consider yourself wise? Not a trick question. Let me ask you this question. Would someone who is certainly wise consider you wise? 
understand, I, I understand this is all somewhat relative, but at the same point, at the same time, uh, a fool's a fool, and someone who exercises wisdom will be growing in wisdom just as Christ grew in wisdom, but there's at least a uh, characteristic, uh, they're known by wisdom. Um, so would someone who is wise consider you wise? Would those who are closest to you consider you wise? Would they go to you for advice? Uh, would they go to you for wisdom? Let me ask you this last question. Do you regularly submit to those who are obviously wiser than you? So, with that said, again... Sharp left turn. Uh, the challenge, I think, for us, for many of us today, is to push aside our pride and high view of ourselves so that we can truly hear what the preacher is telling us today. Um, I'm not saying that we need to begin with looking at ourselves as idiots, but I'm saying we need to begin pushing that aside and going clearly, letting the text speak into our lives, um, and uh, hopefully transform us from there. So with that said, let's begin reading chapter 9, verse 13, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 10. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to try and work through all of this together. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 9, he says this. He says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might." Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little fall outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more. I'm sorry, verse 9. I skipped verse 9. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt... And one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through the sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Whew. 
Um, I know we've prayed a lot this morning. Let's pray uh, that we can make it through this, okay? Uh, Father, uh, I pray for clarity uh, of words, clarity of speech, clarity of reception of those words. Um, Father, this is a difficult text with lots uh, of very practical, yet lots of very um, hard things to understand. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help apply that which is appropriate to each person's life. Uh, but Father, help us to understand what your writer, the preacher, had to say in this great book. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, um, yeah, there's lots of, uh, lots of stuff in this passage. And let me say to you from the very beginning, it is very, um, the literary unit when it comes to this passage is really hard to define, like where would be the best place to start and begin. And from study, it looks like this is kind of the, the best way to break this passage down or this part of Ecclesiastes into. Um, but with that, what happens in this passage is he kind of jumps around. Um, it's almost like, like you, you try to, when understanding Scripture, you try to kind of find the vein of thought or the, the main theme, if you will, and there's really um, not a main theme. I mean, it's because it's, there's so much, so many peripheral things that are handled here that it's kind of difficult to see that in this passage. Um, so if it seems a little disjuncted or a little um, uh, unorganized, a uh, little bit of that's because it's simply the way he wrote at this point in the passage, in this, in this book. Um, it's however, whatever the reason for it, God led him to write this way. Um, but we're going to seek to kind of try and package this in a way that that we can understand it. So, let me give you a first kind of main thought for us this morning, and that is this. Since a little bit of folly can ruin much good, use wisdom. Since a little bit of folly can ruin much good, use wisdom. Now, here's what we're going to do, just as a point of, of helping you guys follow along. We're just going to hit it verse by verse. We're just going to, verse, commentary, maybe some application, verse, commentary, Maybe some application, and we're going to keep cranking on through it. Not much different than we typically do, but just want to make sure. If, if you're taking notes, a good way would just be to put verse 13 and then write some comments. And then verse 14 and then write some comments. Verse 15 and then write some comments. So, so it's a little bit of folly can ruin much good. Use wisdom. So the teacher urges us to use wisdom, practical wisdom, insight, skill uh, to navigate through life. It's very clear that he, look at verse 13, he says this. I have, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. So note the contrast first in here, because this is important to what he's saying. Note the contrast between a little city and few people against a great king building great siege works around it. So note the contrast. He's building a picture here. You say, what is a siege work? Basically, it's, it, what they would do is they would build towers and basically like a wall around the city that was under attack. So these people are attacking. What's going on is you have this small city and you have this large city or kingdom that is coming against this little city with few people and they're literally building towers and a wall and such around this building so as to overtake them so that you, if you can imagine uh, you know you get these big watchtowers and stuff that you see on on um, around villages and, and and cities and basically that that height gives them an advantage to catapult things across the city but the picture here is he is a small city, few people, great king, great siege works that are coming around the city. So the little city with few people, the idea here is that they didn't have a chance. Right? I mean, it would be like, kind of like United States going after like the Dominican Republic or Haiti, right? Like, they just don't stand a chance. So that's the picture that's being painted here. So humanly speaking, the city did not have, have a chance. 
Remember in 9-11, not the date 9-11, but Ecclesiastes 9-11, he says, again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. And his point is dealing with the fact that not always do the strong win, and not always do the weak lose. And we see here an example of that. And, but before we move to the next thing, I want to give you this next thought um, before we kind of tie some of this together. Don't forget wisdom. That's the next thing I would encourage you to do. Is don't forget, or that the preacher would encourage us to, don't forget wisdom. Read verse 15 with me. But there was found in it, referring to the city, a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Have you noticed in the text we're told that he's a poor man twice? That he did not have any financial resources to help the city in its hour of great need. But he did have wisdom. And he led by his wisdom and delivered the city. So you see, excuse me, you see the picture. Little city, overtaken by great city, man with no resources financially, leads by his wisdom, and the weak are delivered. So we don't know how he did it, we just know that it was by wisdom. The teacher gives this example, I think, to illustrate the tremendous strength of wisdom, uh, particularly here, it's in the more of a political type arena. But ultimately, he's illustrating for us that wisdom has the strength to overcome this impossible situation. He's just very practically showing us the, the value and benefit of wisdom. But then what happens in this passage is he says, and this is kind of the sad end to this very short story, is that he says, yet no one remembered the poor man. No one remembered the poor wise man. One of the commentators I read said this, even though he had proved himself wise, he found himself disregarded once the danger passed, disregarded as, an, uh, as unvalued as he had been beforehand. So we see the poor man for God. We see the wisdom of the man for God. A couple quick comments. We, we can do the same thing. You know, a lot of us enjoy wisdom and the benefits from wisdom over the people of wise that are around us. And then when we want to go down a path that, that they would advise us otherwise, then we tend to conveniently forget their wisdom. Um, or forget the wisdom that maybe even that we have learned. Uh, from experience in the past, because we become so emotionally, mentally, whatever, committed to this direction in our life or to doing this thing, that now wisdom is just kind of thrown out the door. And here, they forget the wisdom of this man. Let, let's keep going on and let this picture begin to unfold. Next thought, wisdom is better than strength, yet vulnerable to folly. Wisdom is better than strength, yet vulnerable to folly. Ecclesiastes 9.16 says, But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So here, again, this is affirmation of their forgetting the words and the wisdom that he has spoken. So they listened to his wisdom, obviously, to get them through the attack of the other city. And then now it says that his words are despised. That he is despised. His words are not heard. Um, you know, there's a familiar proverb, wisdom is better than might. Uh, he's probably referring to that here. Uh, in, in our modern language, we might say brains are better than brawn. Um, it would be a, a common, similar thought to this. Um, brains are better than brawn. Wisdom is indeed the sh stronger than might, and yet it is extremely vulnerable. He says, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Um, you, you heard the phrase, uh, work smarter, not harder, 
Anybody like that? Yeah, that comes more becomes increasingly valuable uh, as your body begins to weaken. Uh, and uh, I'll tell a funny story. I was getting out of the car, and if you've seen my garage, our two vehicles, there's not much room left in, be- in between the two because of the garage. And, and, I, and I get out, and I have my slippers on. Many of you have seen my brown slippers. I wear them everywhere. And I get out, and on pavement, they're really slippery. And uh, I step out of the truck, get something in my hand, and my feet just go whoop. And I fall right on my rear on the, and, and I, I might have said something my son shouldn't have heard, but because uh, he, he was standing in the door uh, of the house. And uh, I'm, just lu- I'm just glad he didn't start repeating, you know. So anyways, uh, whoop, ah. And uh, I walked in, I told Sarah, I said, that really hurt and should not have hurt that bad. And I said, if I was a little bit older, I might have had a broken hip. And, uh, <laughs> but luckily, there was enough padding or something there uh, to, uh, to help, uh, even though the Lord has blessed me with my padding in the front. Um, so he uh, was not, uh, it was not, pain, it was not fun. So as we get just the wisdom, we see the practicality of his words here, and you see the value just in very practical application of each of our lives, uh, the benefit and the value of wisdom. But if we're talking even eternal values of wisdom and what wisdom can lead us to do and, and, and such, I'll, I'll stop right there. But um, I think the challenge for us is whether we are trying to proceed in wisdom or something else. I think part of the challenge for us, are we going to proceed in wisdom or are we going to proceed in something else? Are we trying to proceed by the power of our hands? Right? I mean, many of us, are we trying to proceed by the power of our hands? Are we trying to proceed by our emotions? Are we trying to proceed by your resolve? Uh, The risk is that we would listen to something else other than wisdom. And I think... Very practically, many of us find ourselves in this position. We find ourselves either not seeking wisdom or just living in foolishness. And he's very practically here, the value of wisdom is great, and we've seen that elsewhere in Ecclesiastes as well. Let's continue on, verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. All right, so we're just, we're just going to continue layering on this. So wisdom can deliver a city even when it's surrounded by great siege works and weapons of war. But the teacher adds this to the end of that phrase. What's he say at the end of that sentence, the last part? What's he say? Not rhetorical. But, but one sinner destroys much good. Note the contrast again between one and much. One sinner destroys much good. He didn't say one sinner destroys a little bit of good or a piece of good. He's one sinner destroys much good. Uh, this is following, again, parallel-wise, looking back, he is little city, great city. Few people, great people. One sinner, much good. There's a contrast. It takes only one fool to destroy the many good things accomplished by wisdom. And the commentator said, Wisdom is indeed powerful and beneficial, but may be rendered impotent by even a minor indiscretion. Wisdom is vulnerable. Wisdom is vulnerable. Think about the story of King Rehoboam. Think about that story. When he succeeded, his father Solomon... His older advisors advised him to lighten the load that his father had placed on the people. He disregarded their wise counsel and turned to his younger counselors. And they advised him this. Listen to their words. This is in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. This you should say to this people. Whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father Discipline you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And you're going, well, duh, that's like stupid, all right? Well, but, but think about it. He, 
And it's kind of the point. It's kind of like you're saying, well, I wouldn't do that. Okay, well, you might not be a king in charge of disciplining people with scorpions. But there's plenty of times where we choose folly over wisdom. It just doesn't seem that great to us because it's probably in small things that just simply are adding up over time. So, but he tells him to do so. So the wise counsel says you need to lighten the load. He goes to his younger counselors, uh, or not as wise counselors in this case, and they tell him to increase the load. And what happens? As a result, he loses 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a pretty big deal. And the, answer, the guy's like, right, the answer wasn't hidden from him. You know what I'm saying? Like, the answer's there, given to him by wise counselors, and he chooses these ones over here. So how does this look in your life? I mean, we could be living wisely, and then one person in your midst mess up the whole thing. One sinner mess up much good. Let's move on. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. What a description. Um, I don't wear a lot of cologne, uh, but um, I don't like things that smell bad either. Uh, and he's talking about little flies. Again, it's, it's a con- contrasting thing here. Little flies in a vial of ointment and perfume and it turns the whole thing that should smell good into a stench Um, in English we would say maybe one rotten apple spoils the whole bushel Um, the contrast between one and many between little and much so the teacher's point is a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor um, the little folly can ruin the strength of wisdom and honor. I mean, well, well let's keep going. I, I want to leave it right there. The fool is inclined towards stupidity. Let's, let's keep, continue working through the text. The fool, next, main, next big point, the fool is inclined towards stupidity. Think about, let me back up for just a hair. Think about in your life. Can you, can you think of an example? Let's leave it at this. Can you think of an example where you were making right decisions, godly decisions, wise decisions, and then there's one decision, and now the path begins to change drastically? Anybody? Don't think about that? Yeah? Um, for many of us, the, the bad situation that we may even find ourselves in today can probably be traced back to one, one sinful decision. Not, not all the time, because I'm not saying that every bad situation is the result of necessarily a sin in your life, but at the same time, it could potentially be a sin of someone else in your life that has now affected the situation in which you find yourself. And his point is that he, he really is just talking about the frailty of wisdom. Wisdom is great. Wisdom is, is uh, obviously beneficial and should be sought. And it, is rep- it, is, it is, comes from our God, just as mercy and love and justice and so on and so forth. What he's saying is that just this little bad decision or this little sin here can turn the whole thing bad. And we can think of, I'm sure, practical, many practical things in our lives and people around us that this has happened with. So, the next point, the fool is inclined towards stupidity. Ecclesiastes 10.2, he says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So he just said, if you watch Fox News... Uh, you are wise, and if you watch CNN, that you're a fool. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
that is not exactly what Ecclesiastes is referring to, political right and left. Some of y'all thought it was funny. Um, I, I'm guessing if you watch Fox News, you thought that was funny. Uh, and if you don't, then you don't think that was funny. But anyways, he's not talking about that. He's referring to, in ancient Israel, the right hand, sorry lefties, uh, was connoted as powerful and uh, was, was, was basically associated with power and deliverance. The right side was moral goodness and favor. The place of honor was on the right hand side. The left hand usually symbolized ineptness and perversity. So, sorry lefties, uh, but um, that's, uh, that's what he's saying. So, uh, but get what he's, saying. he's saying the heart of the wise inclines to the right. So they're inclined towards power and deliverance, goodness and favor, honor. But the heart of the fool towards ineptness and perversity. The heart of the fool inclines toward, is inclined towards stupidity and perversity. Uh, you get the picture? Okay. We're going to continue on that. The teacher continues in verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Wow. I, I just love these words, don't you? I mean, this is just awesome. What do you say? A fool cannot hide the fact that he's a fool. Now, this is where I go, oh, man. You know, like, <laughs> what do people think about me, you know? Uh, am I hiding? And, well, no, I can't hide the fact that I'm a fool. Uh, but fools, he says, cannot hide that they are fools. Proverbs 12.23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Wow. Yeah. I, I always butcher this phrase, so someone just pick it up if you, if, all right? Catchphrase, I just mess all those up. What's the one about... Um, <laughs> You know, open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah, 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 that one. Uh, yes, that's what he's saying, okay? Better for people to think you a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yes, there we go. I probably should have done some research on how to say that beforehand, but, you know, the Lord did not. All right. So that's, that's what he's talking about. So, so they walk around, and, and here's, here's the deal. This is where I just would caution you so greatly. Because many of us are going to go, I know a person just like that. Uh, and what's funny is that someone could be saying the same thing, but have you in their mind. Uh, we, uh, well, i just leave it at that. He, he's a fool is just simply seen by everybody. But here's where I want us to be careful. That we don't just think categorically this only has application to those who fit there. So this only has application to those who are obviously clearly doing stupid, moronic things and not realize that this could have some application to those who are maybe not quite as foolish. So if you're a fool, though, let me say this. I did write this down. Chances are this has all just went in one ear and out the other. Uh, and, and I hate to say that, but... Um, we sometimes need, well, all the time, I mean, let me back up. We all, very foundational, even in our salvation, we needed God to step in and to wake us up. Okay? So, so if, if you're familiar with different views of salvation, I, I believe regeneration precedes repentance. So God steps in, regenerates our hearts, and then as a result, repentance and faith and all that comes after that. It's the same thing here. I mean, a fool is not going to know he's a fool until someone steps in and wakes him up. And, and I hope today that if you are a fool or acting foolish, that God would step in and wake, wake you up. But a fool is obvious, he's saying. It's clear to everyone. It's clear. Let's go to verse 4. It says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offense to rest. Again, you kind of see the, what appears to be, I think, at least in my mind, a little bit of 
just maybe schizophrenia or something here where he's just bouncing around. But again, the, the overarching theme this whole passage is wisdom. But here he's talking about what happens when a, when a ruler rises against you, you do not leave your place for calmness will lay a great offense to rest. He's simply saying a fool responds to anger with his own anger. So a fool responds likewise. And he's saying that's not wise. So he's saying if you have the king, I mean, so let's think about this. He, and the, as a king, if he was to speak to you in, in a not so nice way, and you were to respond in anger or walk out of the room, it would not be a good day for you, okay? But what would be a good day? At least better day is to respond in calmness. So again, he's referring to speak, just to the fact of using wisdom during the situation. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He's saying respond with calmness. But I mean, think about this just practically, uh, this specific point here, practically in our lives, you know, when it comes to marriage communication. Responding with anger is probably not going to get us anywhere. Responding likewise is probably not going to get us anywhere. There's just some practical wisdom there, practical advice. Let's continue to move on. Better are the few words of the wise than the many of the fool. If you look at verse 17, he says, The words of the wise, uh, of chapter 9, sorry, the words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of the ruler among fools. So he says, The shouting of the foolish ruler draws more attention in our society than the quiet words of the wise. You thought about this, this squeaky wheel as the wheel always gets oiled? Thought about that? Yeah, the, the shouts of the fool are heard. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded, is his point. These quiet words can deliver a city. These quiet words are better than might, and they ought to be heeded. So, again, I know that, that you're kind of like trying, how, how do I get my brain wrapped around all that? Um, one overarching thought for everything that we just went through was that since a little bit of folly can ruin much good, use wisdom. And his biggest point, his kind of overarching point, if you will, with some very seemingly unrelated subpoints in there is that, is that use wisdom and see the practical benefits of wisdom. Uh, and understand, though, that wisdom can be ruined by one person's bad decisions, your bad decision, little decisions, and understand its vulnerability. So, with that, the second kind of big thought for us this morning is since a little folly can overturn daily life, we ought to use wisdom in our daily walk. This is kind of somewhat repetitious of what we've already been talking about, but let's move on. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 5, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. So the evil turns out to be the overturning of the political order, is what happens. So this evil results in the overturning of the political order. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it was an error proceeding from the ruler. So the ruler makes a bad decision, and out of it, evil comes. Verse 6, folly is set... And he begins to describe the situation. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking around on the ground like slaves. So what's happened is incompetent fools have been promoted to places of leadership. The very people who lack sense have become rulers. Um, and I know some of you are like going right to politics, okay? And... He is here specifically relating to the political arena. Um, but it has application for us beyond the political arena. So the rich, typically the well-educated, are not leading, but instead are in very low places. The world has been turned upside down. How did this come about? It came about because of the foolish, the, the foolish error of the ruler. 
So the benefits of wisdom are lost very quickly to the error of this fool. Or the, sorry, to the foolish error of the ruler. Well, this is obviously true in many areas of life. Let's, this is what's cool. Let's, let's work through. He gives us now four illustrations of what may happen in our lives when we don't use wisdom. When we don't use wisdom. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 8, he says this, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. What is he talking about? Uh, this is awesome, alright? So the pit, the pit refers to, typically they would build pits to trap animals. Uh, you know, lay stuff over top of it. Hunters would dig these, camouflage it, and if the hunter was not careful, he could easily fall into the pit himself. Use wisdom. Don't fall into the pit. And I mean, I mean, now, now think about it. Many of us are going, well, duh. Like, don't step in the pit. Like, that would be dumb. But, but I mean, but think about this. This is why he's saying very practically wisdom is beneficial. Wisdom might mean, hey, uh, you cover up only part of it for right now or maybe the center of it so that you can see the edge of it, and, and you do that last, so that you don't walk by and, and accidentally trip, or, or maybe, maybe wisdom would say, all the stuff around the hole, like all the branches and, and rocks and stuff, maybe I should move those out of the way, so that I don't trip as I'm walking, because I'm not always going to be paying attention to the rocks that are underneath my feet, and I might trip and fall. Wisdom would say, hey, let's get the obstacles out of the way, so that maybe... Uh, so, so that I can remove greater chances of me falling into the pit. It's just very practical. Wisdom. And he says this, he says the wall. In Israel, if, if you, uh, I, I've, I've been there, I went there quite a few years ago, but um, lots of low stone fences built around orchards and vineyards. This is still common even in this time. Farmers would have to be careful with these walls because small poisonous snakes would often live in these cracks and in these rocks. And when they went to move these rocks or move these walls or do whatever with these walls, if they were not wise in this situation, he could die. I mean, there's no emergency uh, you know, ambulance to take them to get a cure for the venom. Um, it's just very practical. He's saying be careful. Don't just... When I think of foolishness, I think of noodling. Anybody familiar? And when I think, I think of noodling. All right, like, has anybody ever had a catfish bite on their hand? I have. It doesn't feel good. Uh, and those guys end up with, like with bruises and stuff all over their arms. And but see, that's not even the worst. Okay, anybody here not know what noodling is? Okay, okay, well, that's all right. I'll give you a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a hillbilly lesson here. All right. So what they do is they, is they go like through, like around lakes, only in the south, right? We don't do this up here. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so sorry, uh, sorry. In the lake, and, uh, um, all right, so they're in the lake, river, creek, whatever, and, what, and, and the idea is catfish, particularly big ones, like, they just like to nestle up underneath big rocks, and so if you stick your hand in there, it kind of looks like a worm, right, to a catfish. And gulp, right? Ah, I've gotten sophisticated. Oh, so some hillbilly got smart at some point. He's like, this is not how you do it. Okay, okay. <laughs> with no arm to eat it with. Right. <laughs> Says our dude, our brother with the UK shirt on. So, and hat. All right. <laughs> All right. So the point, right? The point is you could get bit by something else, like a snapping turtle or a copperhead or something crazy like that. 
I got my, all right, get the point? Like, I mean, some of us are going, yeah, I would never stick my hand underneath something like that. Yeah, good, that's wisdom, right? <laughs> Might be a little bit of fear, but it's wisdom. Mostly fear, you know, whatever. That would be, that would, yeah, I'm not sticking my hand. That, that, I mean, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm, this, I'm enjoying my hands and arms, right? Okay, so going on. He says, verse 9, he says, He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Uh, I'm sure Rusty's mind right now is like going into animation mode, and he's like, sees the rock, like, going on, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. My mind went there, but it was because you made me go there. So Israel has an abundance of stones. People would dig these stones from the ground to use for building their homes. On hillsides, it's particularly dangerous. One could easily be hurt by rolling stones, not the band, and by dropping it, <laughs> maybe on their toe or their leg, or it could roll over. You know, I mean, come on. All right, all right. So <laughs> that was not in the script. That was good. Then he says this, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. <laughs> All right. But he's probably had to fall the tree first to then subsequently split it. Reasonable. All right. All right. Reasonable assumption. So the log splitter has also has to be careful. Uh, the log could roll on him, right? Or fall on a house. Uh, a little folly can result in serious injuries. Right, we, uh, yeah, anyways, there's a whole big story. You can talk to Dave later if you want to hear about that story. Uh, we dropped a very big tree, and it was very dangerous. But uh, uh, the scariest part, uh, for me, as we're dropping this tree, you know, if you don't know familiar with the story, that's okay. You, you'll get this point. As we drop in the tree, we have a cable system. It's going back and forth like three times, and it's hooked up to my truck, and and uh, which, as I got into that, I don't know if it was a good idea, you know, as I'm like sitting in my truck going, oh. And then uh, all of a sudden I hear a snap. And I thought maybe like my rear end just left me. Uh, but then, I've, then I very quickly realized then I would be sitting like on the ground or something. Um, and what happens is one of the cables snapped. And the tree, as I'm told, like swayed like 20, 30 feet, I don't think I'm exaggerating, back towards the house. And then finally like settled and remain standing. Uh, and, and if it would have went the way it was going, it would have split the house in half. Um, not a, that would not have been a good day. So there's a lot of practical wisdom here, um, except some of us get uh, ambitious and uh, crazy sometimes. But that's okay, because uh, we're still alive, right? So he gives us some very, like, we're thinking, wow, this dude's really wise and profound, and then we get here, and he's talking about logs. But I think that's the point. I mean, this guy is a deep thinker. He's working us over like crazy, and, and then he gets here, and he's like, look, stupid. Uh, be careful when you're around logs. They could roll on you and hurt you. Don't stick your hand into a thing where you don't know what's in there. It could bite you. You could die. I think his point is foolishness is obviously foolish. What happens, though, is we get blinded somewhere in there. We get attached to a certain decision or a certain direction. Or we just don't stop and think. We just don't stop and think, hmm, probably not a good idea. So in the next two verses, we are encouraged to use our God-given wisdom in our daily task. Verse 10 says this, chapter 10, verse 10, If the iron is... Blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If you've ever cut wood, or almost anything for that matter, other than butter, you know that it's hard to cut through wood with a dull axe. For hillbillies here, right? Ah, yeah! Right. And then you can stir it beforehand with the handle, right? All right. 
churning the butter. Yeah, what was that? Churned, churned, axe churned butter. Yeah. All right, sorry. <laughs> My wife said the beard's doing something to me. I told you persecution, brother. I told you. Told you. Shave it. She just wants me to trim it. Anyways, no opinions wanted, okay? Keep it to yourself. Perseverance of the whiskers. That's the P in tulip, okay? All right. All right, sorry. So woodcutters know, all right, back on track. You guys are, I'm distracted. All right, I only have a few minutes. Wisdom helps one succeed. Wisdom will tell the cutter to wet the edge or to sharpen it, the axe beforehand. Um, see the practical wisdom. Verse 11, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. <laughs> Duh. Uh, so a snake charming is still a practice in the Eastern world. If snake charming is... If the snake charmer is in a hurry and starts handling the snake before it's charmed, he will get bitten and probably die. Uh, I mean, just very practical, again. But if he uses wisdom, he will make sure that the snake is charmed before he handles it. So, last big thought. Last big thought. Since a little folly can get us into deep trouble, we ought to use wisdom in our daily talk. Daily talk. Again, somewhat repetitious. Just very, this is very speculative, but I think he's very repetitious in here because he's hoping the fool gets it, uh, and he just keeps hitting it, but that's just speculation. Since a little falling can get us in trouble, we ought to use wisdom in our daily talk. The words of the wise are beneficial, hear this, words of the wise are beneficial, but the words of a fool are destructive. So right now, the, the teacher begins with contrasting the talk of the wise and the babble of the fools. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Think about Jesus in the synagogue with me for just a moment in Nazareth, the people's first, uh, and, and his first, they're very favorable. His talk, his teach, his preach is very favorable. He, verse Luke chapter 4, verse 22, he says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So the words spoken by the wise bring them favor. I think we see a demonstration of, of Christ's wisdom. By contrast, the lips of the fool consume them. The talk of fools do not bring favor to the fools, but ruin to the fools. I mean, you know how many marriages are ruined just simply by words. Just words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never. I mean, come on. Just by word, the, the words bring ruin. And I know you ladies have worked through uh, handling words and stuff on Friday night, which is just awesome. And let me reiterate that. You know, our words, and I don't think that he's just simply referring here to, or is Paul in Ephesians 4, simply referring to the transmission of symbols and their attached definition. Because our, and here's the point, our tones, the context in which it's said, all of that is what's being spoken and what's being communicated. Not just simply, well, I said the right words. Well, but how did you say those words? Because here he's talking about the fool, and these words keep going on and on and on and on. Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. So fools get caught in their own words. Let's read on in verse 13, the, the next thought here. The, a fool continues to talk even in the midst of imminent destruction. Even in the midst of imminent destruction. So verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. Love it. <laughs> the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. Even though their words ruin them, fools talk on and on and keep continuing. Even though their words begin in foolishness and descend from there to wicked madness, they don't shut their mouths. They talk on and on. They are blind to their own folly. 
And this is a warning for all of us. But they talk on and on. And it's not just someone who talks a lot, okay? Because I know you're like, well, Matt talks on and on. He's doing it right now. Uh, right. So that's not the necessary, right? Okay. But their foolishness, their talk is leading them to ruin, and then they, even in the midst of that imminent danger, that ruin that's coming, they continue to talk. In their madness, they even talk about the future, he talks about as we, as we move on here. They think that they know what the future holds, but the teacher reminds us, verse 14, he says, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? No one. God has set the times, and we don't know what the future holds. Go to verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Not know the way to the city. What do you think that means? Do I? Yeah, he's lost. But, but it's, there's a point that's kind of driving at here. Do I? Okay, yeah, he is weary. He is weary. Because he doesn't know the way to the city, not knowing the way to the city is an idiomatic expression, basically expressing the guy's incompetence. You don't know the way back to the city? You're a fool. I mean, that's like me not knowing how to get back to my house. Well, it's, it's foolish. Like, it just shows my incompetence. And that's what he's saying about this person. He is weary because he's incompetent. He doesn't know the fool is incompetent. The fools, fools don't know the most elementary things. That's what is referring to here. So their toil wears them out because they keep talking about the things that they know nothing about. Hmm. I'll, I'll let that one sink. So this vivid description of fools and their babbling is a major incentive not to be counted among them, is it not? Instead, we ought to use wisdom in our daily talk. Let me summarize this for us. Give us a couple application points and then we'll be done. So the teacher stresses how easily folly, little folly, can ruin the strength of wisdom. He tells us the story of the poor man and the, the poor wise man. Um, talks about how the people soon forget that, what, that wisdom of that person and that person. The teacher shows that it takes only a little folly to destroy the good built up by wisdom. One fool can destroy much good and a little folly can harm us. In areas of life, other areas of life as well. The point is that we must use wisdom in our talk and in our walk, both. We should use wisdom. Um, let, let me let me let me encourage you with this uh, and these verses as we get to them. But be a person who pursues wisdom, no matter what age you are. That you pursue wisdom. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. Luke 21, 15. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Those are great words. Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 17. Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me give you a few application points. We'll be done. Don't look at this as a, as a checklist, all right? We've talked enough about not being checklist Christians, but I want to give you some very easy things to think through this week. First of all, one, the teacher wants us to seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom, to desire wisdom, to see that folly is dangerous. Seek wisdom. Secondly, he wants us to be discerning about wisdom and folly. Not everybody we meet is wise. You guys know that? Right? I was dealing with a situation not too long ago, and... and I think what would, in this situation, this is not me in the situation, it was someone else. This person is offering great wisdom in the situation, but yet this person instead turns to those who are foolish. 
I mean, very clearly foolish. And this person ends up heading right down that path. Wisdom was here, right? Just like in the King Rehoboam, the wisdom was offered, and then the foolishness was sought. But I trust those people. I love those people. Okay? That, that doesn't make them wise. It doesn't make them able to lead you in that situation. So, he wants us to be discerning about foolish, foolishness and wisdom. He wants us to cultivate discernment between wisdom and foolishness. Next, he wants us to cultivate wisdom. Cultivate wisdom. Um, guys, I don't want to insult our intelligence here today, but um, you don't just wake up one day wise. Okay? And age does not necessarily equal wisdom. Now, maybe the chances are greater because you've lived more life and been through more situations, but you could go through lots of life situations and not learn a blasted thing from them. So wisdom, we don't just wake up one day wise. We cultivate wisdom. Asking God for wisdom. Begging God for wisdom. Cultivate wisdom. We can become wise by being around those who are wise. By learning and reading the wise. We need to cultivate wisdom. Next, he wants us to look, the teacher wants us to look at life from the vantage point of the wise rather than the vantage point of the fool. Now we're getting back to chapters 1 through 9 of Ecclesiastes, looking from the vantage point of the wise versus from the meaninglessness vantage point of the fool. Next, he wants us to remember the ult- that ultimate folly is living, the, is living life without God. It's the ultimate folly. Next, he wants us to trust in God rather than our wisdom. Sometimes fools rule. And I, and I promise you, even all throughout today, even with the few political references, the political side of this is the furthest thing from my mind in teaching this. This is very practical, everyday lives, people that we run into every single day. And our lives as well. Sometimes fools rule. Therefore, if you trust in wisdom, you're going to be disappointed. And you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You just told me... Wisdom, 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 wisdom. And the text just said wisdom, 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 wisdom. But what else does he say in there about that wisdom? He said that it's vulnerable. And it can be ruined by one person. So if your trust and security is in your wisdom, you will eventually be disappointed. But if your trust and security is placed in Christ, and to the author of that wisdom, then you will not be disappointed trust in God rather than our wisdom. Last point is this. We reject the so-called wisdom of the world and we embrace the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? And I'll close with reading this passage. 1 Corinthians 1 For the word, verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish of the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the world preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of, of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, 
that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised things God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And with that, let me say this last thing. We are so tempted to trust in our pride, trust in our brawn, trust in our strength, trust in our resolve, trust in these things. And what does he say here? Who is wisdom? Christ is wisdom. He is our foundation. He is firm. He is our salvation. We talk about all this talk about cultivating wisdom and seeking wisdom. That starts, begins, thrives, and ends with Christ. We know Christ. Know Christ and know Christ crucified. Know Christ and His character and God. And, and seek wisdom. Ask God to bless you with wisdom. Parents, if you have kids, you're going to need wisdom. Right? If you're, if you're married, you're going to need wisdom. If you're single, you're going to need wisdom. Seek wisdom. Um, and uh, uh, cultivate it. Ask God to bless you with wisdom. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for the practicality of your word and the blessing of your word. And Father, I pray that uh, these big thoughts that have been given to us in the text, um, that they would be clear to us. Father, that instead of running away from what might be confusing, uh, that we, instead of running away from that, we would take these words and study them this week and, and reflect upon them and apply them and, and ask, uh, uh, Father, and, and that we would ask you to reveal to us if we are being foolish or what aspects of our lives is resembling foolishness. Uh, Father, let us not watch the wisdom around us walk on by while we flail around in our stupidity. But Father, to seek wisdom, to seek the wisdom that you've placed in our lives, it doesn't all have to come from inside of us. But instead, Father, you've given us wisdom all around us. That's part of the point of the body of Christ. That you've given us believers around us to help us grow and to help us be wise, to help us learn wisdom. And, and Father, I pray that we would seek wisdom from those people. Young and old, and Father, um, Father, we uh, we just thank you for for the wisdom that you have not hidden from us, but that you have given to us in your Son Jesus Christ. And Father, it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thanks for uh, hanging with me through uh, that uh, fun text. So you guys have a great week. Uh, enjoy yourselves and. Um, Take care.